Why do I like denotational design? In this episode, I hope to explore this really cool design process that uses functional programming and talk about why I like it and also talk a little bit about the difficulties of using it in a statically typed versus an untyped language. Hi, my name is Eric Normand, and I help people thrive with functional programming. So I was asked on Twitter by Scott Nimrod uh, a really great question. Uh, I'll read the question. Uh, it's, ac it's actually got two parts to it, but I'll just I'll read it. Uh, the question is, I'm curious to learn why you are a fan of denotational design, even though it's more challenging in a dynamic language like Clojure. So that's got two parts, really. The first part is, why do you like denotational design? Um, so let me address that one first. Okay, so denotational design is, I think, a really cool design process. In fact, it is a design process that has borne real fruit. So denotational design is the process that has been elaborated, developed by Connell Elliott, and he used it to create functional reactive programming, which you have probably heard of. Um, and functional reactive programming has boomed into several different reactive style paradigms and uh, so it's it's a real thing that really helps make new things in the world uh, and it does it at a very low abstract uh, low level very abstract and it just like it, it creates uh, a, a lot of uh, a blooming of like different languages implementing in different ways uh, offshoots things that aren't FRP but we're inspired by FRP that's functional reactive programming, by the way. Uh, and he's actually currently using it uh, to rethink and redesign deep learning, neural networks, and backpropagation and all that. Uh, so uh, I'm looking forward to that. He's, I mean, the work is still in progress, so uh, there's not much to report on yet, but there's talks out there. Um, so I like that it's a real design process. Um, I, I think that as our industry matures, we're going to need uh, real processes for, um, for coming up with these novel things. How do you actually model a thing in the world? We don't know how to do that, not in a like step-by-step -step process not in a way that we can collaborate well with each other on, right? We're just kind of ad hoc, making things up, designing them on a whiteboard, drawing arrows and things. This is a step-by-step -step principled process. And, and uh, from my exploration of it, I think it's, it's really cool. Um, I particularly like that the first step is kind of a, Let's step back from any notion of implementation because we're doing design here. We don't want to 
jump in and say an image is an array of pixels. We don't want to, that's too soon. Yet that's how most of us, that's where most of us start. If we were going to start, we're bringing a lot of implementation baggage into the, into our design before we've even thought about what we want it to do. Okay. So I think that this is a very important, uh, step that we have to take ourselves. You know, we say, oh, but it's got to be an array of, Im of pixels because that's the most efficient thing for the library I'm using. But, oh, I mean, you're choosing a library already. Just step back. Step back for a second and think, what is an image? What does it mean? What does it mean to have an image or to be an image? What does it mean? So Connell Elliott, in his, he had like a two and a half hour lecture he goes over how he would design like an image system, a graphic system. He said in his system, an image is just a function from a pixel location. So an XY coordinate to color where XY are in the real number space, right? So there's continuous. It's not like an integer like an array index, it is real numbers. You can ask for any point in that XY space and get a color for it. Okay, so this is stepping way back and saying, what does it mean to be an image? You might disagree with that definition, but it's, it is a much more abstract notion of image than array of pixels. And that's what's important is that he took that step back and said, it's a mapping from location to color. And I can represent that as a function. Okay. Map it's a functions are mappings. Okay. So, uh, I like that stepping back, going back to first principles, really rethinking the definition of something. Uh, and then another step in this process, I will go over the process. Um, in, in, in just after I talk about why I like it. Um, the other thing is he uses algebraic properties and category theory. And I think algebraic properties are a very good indicator that you are quote onto something in the design. You know, when we're making design decisions, we need some assurance, some, something to follow to see if we're getting somewhere, if we're getting in a, going in a good direction. And uh, algebraic properties uh, seem to be a pretty good way to do that. I mean, this is my opinion, of course, but it's why I like this process. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what else you would choose besides something like developer ergonomics or, or efficiency or something like that. but if you algebraic properties are a good kind of gradient to follow to get to a good design okay so that's why I like denotational design I've used it myself as a way of stepping back and thinking through what something means and then bringing that forward into an implementation eventually okay so I've I've um, watched and read as much as I've been able to find 
um, that was accessible to me and my level of understanding of category theory and stuff. Um, I've watched as much as I could, read as much as I could on denotational design. And I've even give, given talks where I've tried to come up with a process behind it, like a step-by-step process. Unfortunately, in all the material I've found, it starts off step-by-step. You know, he'll say, okay, this is the first step, and this is the second step, and then there's just, like, no more third and four, no f- two, three. You know, it, it just it just trails off into, into, isn't this stuff cool, and isn't this nice, and look where we've been. And, like, there's no more steps. So I've just watched it and rewatched it trying to see the steps, okay, doing it myself and saying, where do the steps go? Now, I don't, you know, this is this is my overlaying on him, okay? So this is not what he's calling denotational design. It's what I've managed to to pull out of his material on denotational design. Uh, I would love to collaborate with him to come up with a like a concrete list of steps to do. Um, but these are the four steps that I see um, that I see. That, that are clear enough and it started out as three and then I, I used it a bunch and I said no there's a fourth step in here that I'm skipping okay steps are important because you need to be able to teach it right if you can't say okay now we're doing this step uh, someone might get lost and just not you know feel like well I'm doing what you're doing which is just wandering around no I'm, I'm not wandering around I'm going on this path step by step okay uh, so this first one is is to kind of I, I think of it as like zenning out and like forgetting all the forgetting all the implementation assumptions that you have made every time you've made a like let's say a graphics a computer graphics system or every computer graphics system you've made and introspecting you know meditating on it what is an image right you just ask this like very basic question and get at some fundamental idea right so you 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 like empty your mind you go beginner's mind and you just really try to think what is an image okay the same kind of thing like well if i if i have a teacup and i break it is it still a teacup you know that kind of question right uh the very zen koan kind of question um, that's where you got to go. It's like a philosophical question about meaning. What does an image mean, right? Okay, so then you, you do that and you, you come up with a definition, right? Something that you can encode in your language, right? He uses Haskell, so he often will use a function, like, you know, an image is a uh, as a mapping, as a function from from a point on a plane to color. So XY coordinate to color, right? So then color, you know, what is color? You know, you could ask that question. Or you could just cop out and just say, oh, it's just an RGB. You know, whatever, whatever you do. But the, that image question is the one he was after. So that's the one he does in the video. All right. So then you explore this, okay? You say, well, if I have this type, 
you know, it's an, it's a function type, then what operations can I do on this type? How can I, can I, can I express all the things that I expect to be able to express? Right. Can I, uh, translate the image? Yes. Cause I can make a function that takes an image and, uh, returns a new function that has the trans, you know, that translates by adding the X and the Y. And so you, you, you can see how it's done. Um, so you just elaborate and explore that, that definition. What does this allow me to do? Can I find some minimal set of operations that other operations can be defined in terms of, and you're exploring it a lot based on the ease of implementing. How clear is it to implement this operation using the type that I have, right? And this is something that I, I've added myself. This is not, I don't remember Connell ever talking about this, but design in other domains and other processes is very often incremental. You don't get it right the first time. So you have to go back and like, revise and you, you, you make an, uh, uh, an attempt in a certain direction and you learn something and you bring that back to the beginning and you start over and you make a new thing. And so in his presentations, it's usually very linear, which is a good way to present it. But I think it's important to remember that you might not get the image definition correct the first time, the best possible definition. So you're going to have to step back again with the stuff that you learned and incorporate that into your definition. Okay. And the next thing that I see in his, in his steps is that he starts to align things with category theory concepts. So a lot of times you'll say, Whoa, that, that image is actually a functor. You see, cause we're doing this transformation like a translation or a rotation is a functor on, on an image. Uh, and so you start to align these things, uh, with the category theory concepts with algebraic, you know, abstract algebra kinds of things. And, uh, that helps guide and, and mold the design, you know, the order of the arguments and things. And you start to see, oh yeah, this will fit in here and this fits in there because category theory, one way of looking at it is a, is a kind of an algebra of composition. How do things, how do functions and, and, uh, and objects types, like how do they fit together? Right. And, and that's what that is. That's what you're doing is you're trying to align it so that it fits in all these things. And I actually think that that's a very, uh, fruitful way of, of finding some kind of gradient that you can follow to, to find the good design, right? There are others, like I said, developer ergonomics is one, uh, performance is another, uh, those are things you could follow. Okay. And then the, the interesting thing about this is at this point he has implemented very little. He has not implemented a way to draw these images on the screen, for instance, 
right? He just has defined it as a type. And some functions are implemented because they're, he can implement them easily in terms of other things, right? So like I talked about the translate, it's very easy because you can just say, well, translate returns a new image with the X and the Y added to this other X and Y, right? So it just, it just moves it. And you haven't uh, defined how to, how to make one of these images yet. You just know the type. Okay. And that's one of the nice things about, uh, about like type systems is they, they give you a thing you can reason about without actually having an implementation. That's pretty cool. Okay, then the final thing is actually implementing it. You have the design, you've inc uh, incremented, not incremented, uh, yeah, you've gone through this incremental process of design, you've iterated on it uh, multiple times, you've like gotten it very clean and nice before you've implemented it, and now you know exactly what you need to implement. Often that implementation is very straightforward. Um, but sometimes, sometimes it's still hairy because you're dealing with another system, but, uh, what you need to design, develop and design is, or implement, sorry, don't want to use the word design. What you need to implement is, uh, very clear, right? And well, I forgot what I want to say. All right. So let's. Let's talk about the second part, the second part of this question. So I'll read the question again. I'm curious to learn why you are a fan of denotational design, even though it's more challenging in a dynamic language like closure. So like I said, Connell Elliott uses Haskell for these things, and Haskell has a static type system where category theory can be expressed pretty well. And the types let him reason about the about the meaning of the system before he even implements it so why closure why wouldn't i do this in haskell is it more challenging in closure okay so i want to start this off by saying i i'm not I don't want to compare closure to Haskell in this episode. That's not what this is about. I'm trying to address this very specific question about whether it is more challenging in closure to do denotational design. Okay. So if I say anything about Haskell, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying I like Haskell. It's a great language. I used to work in Haskell. Um, right now I prefer closure. So, so you'll know my bias is there. Um, but that's not what I'm talking about right now. Okay. So the first thing I want to say is for doing denotational design, Haskell isn't perfect either. It's challenging in Haskell. It's challenging in Haskell. So I'll, I'll uh, name a few things that um, are either impossible or uh, not really helped by Haskell. So Haskell has no type for, for real numbers. Most languages don't. Uh, how do you represent a continuous, you know, number with arbitrary pre precision, um, 
we don't have a good way of doing that. Um, and I mean, especially like an irrational number, like how do you represent that? Um, so that's the first thing. And it's, it's something that comes up in forums a lot. People are asking, like you say you want, you want, um, you want real numbers, but that's impossible. If you tried to compare two irrational numbers, you never know if like one more digit, they're going to be different. Right? So that's a challenge, right? This is something that he thinks is important for the, the domain model. Um, but it's not, it doesn't happen in Haskell. Um, another thing is when you're talking about like, say the monad laws or the, the functor laws, associativity, you're talking about equality between two different expressions, right? Uh, if you're talking about commutativity, f of a and b is equal to f of b and a, right? But what if f or what if a and b are functions and it returns a function? You can't do that equality comparison. And Connell talks about this as well in his talk. He's like, you know, this is not valid Haskell. You cannot do a quality comparison uh, between functions and get the answer you're expecting, right? Uh, if they happen to be exactly the same function, like, you know, they're both assigned to this variable, they're both given the same name, and, you know, the A equals A, yeah, sure. But if they were produced in two different ways, uh, there's no way to compare the two functions to see that they're going to always have the same the same return value for all arguments. There's no way to do that. Um, finally, um, commutativity and associativity, you know, very important properties. Um, there's no way the type system helps you with that. Um, there's no, there's no way to express that in, in Haskell, you know, um, when you develop, let's say, a monoid, because we're talking about associativity, um, you just have to trust that the function you give it is associative, right? Like the, the type system can't check that for you, okay? Um, so how, how do you check for equality between functions and for these algebraic properties? Um, you could use uh, property-based testing and Haskell has a good property-based testing system, probably several. Um, Clojure has one as well. So we do the same thing there. Um, okay, so now I wanna talk about whether it's hard to do uh, denotational design in Clojure. Um, I, I do think it is a little harder than in Haskell, but I also think that uh, the most of the design part is happening in your head. You're making little notes like, oh, this type of this function, you know, type of image is this, and that helps you, but you're not running that program through the compiler to have it check it for you because you don't even have, um, you don't have anything for it to run. I mean, maybe maybe people have a workflow for for testing out these um, for testing out types that don't have any 
instances of them you know what I mean like there's no function that has that type so but can you still write a program that that runs it I don't know I'm not sure um, but but if you could then it would be easier in Haskell but what I'm saying is most of it's happening in your head most of the reasoning is happening in your head um, the Haskell type system that you are reasoning about in your head helps but I've been there I worked in Haskell I I have internalized enough of the Haskell type system that certainly not all okay I'm not a Haskell expert or anything but I've internalized enough of it that I can do that in my head even in closure and I do make notes about the types I do make notes about okay this is a uh, this is an, an image is going to take a, an XY coordinate and a um, and uh, and it's going to return a color, right? Like I, I do make notes about that, um, and so yes, it is a little bit more challenging, but it's like ninety percent of the work is done in your head anyway, so it's not it's not a big it's not a big ch uh, change. Um, I have used spec a little bit to help with the design, but I, it's it's a little bit cumbersome to do it. Um, I'm I'm gonna keep trying to use spec to do that. Spec is a closure library for defining uh, like the the types and structure and values of arguments that you're interested in. Um, I I hope to find a way of doing that. Of, of using spec to maybe even get a, a leap over Haskell because it lets you like automatically create generators for property-based testing so um, you're you're and you're able to talk about the values because it happens at runtime the checks happen at runtime um, it's not as good about reasoning about functions closure doesn't have currying which is, is kind of helpful um, but I still find that the process of stepping back, zenning out, um, exploring the definition, like what things would look like, those two steps don't require the type system, don't require type checking. Um, the construction along the lines of category theory abstractions, that does get into that category or that, you know, the difficult stuff. Um, but like I said, uh, very important algebraic properties aren't helped by the Haskell type system either. So I don't feel like closure is that far behind in it. Um, I do worry that it does require you to know the Haskell type system um, in the sense that, uh, like, that I've internalized it. So a, a program, a closure programmer would look at what I'm doing and say, oh, that's, that's, it's like, it's too much work, it's too abstract, whereas I'm just doing very concrete steps that I've learned through experience from the Haskell system. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried about that, but uh, I think we can work through it. Okay, so I hope that answers that two-part question. I'll read the question again. This, is, this question is from Scott Nimrod. I got it on Twitter. Um, 
It's, uh, I'm curious to learn why you are a fan of denotational design, even though it's more challenging in a dynamic language like closure. Um, so just to sum this up, I, I think that denotational design is a lot less about static typing than this question implies. It's a lot less about types. Um, it's a, you know, it's, it, it's, it's about design. It's about, uh, going back to first principles, building things up, understanding how things compose and following a different gradient from what most people use when they design. Most people use something like either performance, like what they perceive would be faster or uh, developer ergonomics like oh look what I can do with if I you know put the argument over here it lets me write this which is a lot you know it feels cooler you know it's shorter you know, something like that um, as opposed to algebraic properties which I think have you know they have precedence in reality <laughs> let's put it like that uh, associativity is a pretty common property around at least around my my neck of the woods. Uh, so uh, I hope that answers the question. Um, thank you so much, Scott, for the for the question. Uh, I know you have a few more, but I'll save those for other episodes. All right, if you like this episode, you can find all the past episodes at lispcast.com slash podcast. There you'll find audio, video, and text transcripts of all the episodes. You'll also find links to subscribe in whatever way you want. So please do subscribe. That way you'll get all the future episodes. Um, and you'll also find uh, links to social media. So you can ask me questions too. And I hope to answer them soon. All right. This has been my thought on functional programming. My name is Eric Normand. Thanks for listening. And rock on.